hello. Hi. 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 It's good to. Was that a can crack that I heard? It was. It was a. It what? was a can crack. Did it sound extra crispy? It sounded pretty crispy. Yeah, I'm drinking a crispy boy, so it should sound crispy. Good. Yeah. I like that very much. Me? Boy, me um, too. Let me tell you. I take it you're drinking coffee how... since it is morning for you? I am drinking coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Coffee and a side of potential Diet Coke slash water. I have a lot of beverages on my bed right now. Good. Just, <laughs> you know, line them up. <laughs> My boss and I always talk about how brunch is the best meal because you can have like unlimited beverages. Mm-hmm. It's true. Because it's not unusual to have like water and coffee and a juice and a Bloody Mary. Like you can have just like a shitload of beverages during brunch. It's true. So fun fact, um, a trend or habit or inside joke, I don't know what you want to call it, but something that we have started doing, Jamie Nelson, Callie and I, Maybe I shouldn't say full names. Jamie and Callie and I. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Shout out Jamie Nelson. <laughs> um, whenever we do that, whenever we have brunch or whatever, we have more than two drinks. We'll send each other a picture of it with hashtag triple fisting it. Um, and most of the time it's like I'm at brunch. And so I have like water and coffee and a Bloody Mary and a little pony of beer. And then I'll get one back from Jamie that's like his drink and then like his children's three juicy cups. And I don't know. I I don't know. Usually his involves like children wanting several different drinks and mine's adult beverages at brunch, but you know, yeah. Gotta do what you gotta do. Gotta do it. I meant to ask if people enjoy or, have indifference to the announcement um not announcement but the like the disclaimer about where to jump to if they yeah. do not wish to hear about um pandemic things um because i know that that is a very sensitive topic for a lot of people and just hearing about it all the time can be exhausting um so i wondered if people were like seeing that or if they were yeah. just clicking on it and listening, or if it's helpful, or if it's not helpful. I don't know. Um, so if you have thoughts or feedback, let I, me know. Yeah, that's a really good point. I would love to know if that's helpful for people. Yeah. Um, and I need to get better about putting them in the show notes, because I have forgotten to do so. And then every time I see you post on Facebook, I'm always like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> No. So I'll start putting those in the show notes no so that uh, that's it's attached to the actual episode, too. Yeah. Or yeah, if I'm people are like, no, people, fuck it, like, I don't care. Yeah, I I never read show notes of podcasts that I listen to. I just click it and here we go. Like, I see the title and I'm like, hooray. Um, and yeah. so I'm, I'm curious if people have been... Um, but maybe if I was looking for something like that, then I would take more time and pay more attention. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm just curious how people are, how people are doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. How are you, by the way? Um, I am <laughs> still in quarantine. Happy one year anniversary, birthday, whatever you want to call it, to your migraine. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that was yesterday. And I spent all day, literally all day, um, laying on the floor with my cat. Mm. Um, because our couch is very small. It's very small. I think we've talked about this before. And so I have taken to just blowing up a camp pad and bringing all of the blankets in our house down and just making a little like nest on our floor. And then the cats love it. So I spent all day watching Breaking Bad with my cats. Oh, <laughs> and it was, yeah. Also, I do know about your couch because I've sat and slept on it. I don't think you've slept on it since we got the tiny one though. 
Oh, you got a new one. We have a couch that's smaller than that one. Oh, we my. we brought the one that was from upstairs downstairs because oh, the the bigger right. one broke. Got it. Got it. So Taylor, it's not a couch, couch, it's a love seat is more gotcha. accurate. I yeah. understand yeah. now what is happening. Yeah, love seat is more accurate. So um I've taken to just setting up this little we call it the nest. Yeah. It's fitting. And we just bring all the blankets and pillows down and just set up a little fort. And that was um, always I don't know why adults don't do that more often. It's so wonderful. It's so nice. Yeah. It's so nice. So I did tell Evan that we have to, because frequently, you know, one of one or both of us will fall asleep watching TV on the nest and we'll come up and come to bed. And then it's just there from the night before yeah. when we come back downstairs. And so then it's already set up. But I was like, listen, we've got to start putting this away at night because because otherwise it makes it look like we just are living on our floor all the time. Like this, we have to, we can't let quarantine fully take over. He was like, yeah, that's fair. So it is. And also no one would judge you though. <laughs> Slash no one would know because no one can come over. So Slash no one would know. There you have it. What more do you need? So no, I'm just kidding. Um, how are you? I'm good. I'm how good. I I'm good. My um my film class started up again all on Zoom. Um oh, nice. which I was real skeptical about for the first class because I was like the whole point of this was that we were in front of a camera with like the lights and the everything every week. Yeah. And so I was really skeptical. Right. Like it, it just like, whenever I started thinking about it, I started spiraling down to like, what's the point of any of this? Because nobody can audition for anything. All of these projects are canceled. Nobody knows when this is going to end. Like what, why are we even trying? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And so it was really, really nice to the first hour of class our teacher just answered questions that we had and he just kind of checked in with all of us to see how we were. And he's the president of SAG-AFTRA in Chicago. And so wow. he, we could just ask him like how this affects everything. And he had answers for us, which was so wonderful. Um, so it was really nice to just be like, what's the point of this? Like, Yes, we're learning. Yes, we're working on our craft and we're honing and everything. But like, is there any foreseeable startup? Um, when can we start auditioning again? When can we, you know, and I was explaining my frustration. I was like, yeah. I feel like I had found some momentum. I was booking projects. I was hoping to get an agent. I, you know, like everything was, it seemed to be going well. And then for all of it to come to a screeching halt was so frustrating. Um. And so it was it was really nice to just like discuss with everybody. Um and then apparently on Zoom you can like whoever's hosting can separate people into smaller groups and be in their own little private Zoom. And so he split us off, split us off into groups of like two or three just so we could talk without being in like in front of everybody. Um and we could get a little bit more personal, a little bit more yeah. like I almost, you know, decided to stop taking the class. I almost emailed and asked for a refund. Like, I'm glad that we're all on the same page about this. Um, so mm -hmm. it was, and then we, like, moved past it, got back into, okay, so now we're going to switch the curriculum and we're going to learn how to make a dynamite self-tape. And by the end of this class, you guys are going to be able to self-tape for everything forever and you're going to feel confident and you're going to feel good about it and let's do this. Um, so I'm nice. like... Yeah, building a little self-tape studio in the corner of my room, which consists of a cardboard Pampered Chef box with a tripod on top of it pointed at my wall. So, you know. Amazing. Yep, that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, it was it was just good to like talk to people I haven't seen in a month and get some fears and frustrations out about a specific... Thing that I felt selfish being frustrated about. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. it was good. It, it was nice to feel justified in that rather than selfish. Um, and yeah, it's given me a, a much more positive outlook on this whole ordeal. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. 
Now I'm trying to find ways to like, and I'm cooking a ton. And I love it. Nice. Because we have time to just like make everything from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been a better week, I guess is the best way to say that. Oh, good. Yeah. Also, welcome to Babetown, Taylor. Oh my God, I can't believe you. I was <laughs> just opening my mouth to say welcome <laughs> to Babetown. You know, it was the oh right place for it to be in the conversation. And I just wanted to cordially welcome you, you to Babetown. <laughs> I hate this. Ah, <laughs> uh, I love you too. Um, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> um, well, we already covered what we're drinking. We did. Right so, yeah, it's just like Bing Bing. Start with that that can crack. Bing bang. Um, I will be shocked if I am going first. So, what year was your babe born? My babe was born in 1853. Yep, I was right. You're going first. I'm going first? Okay. You're going first. Right. Tell me all about your babe. Oh my gosh, I would love to. I love her so much. Okay. Taylor, have you ever heard of Marie Owens? Yes. Damn it. But I mean good. No. Oh, there was a... Okay, so there was a delay. And when I said Taylor, apparently you said yes, but it came in right after I said, have you heard of Marie Owens? And you were like, yeah. (laughs) No, no, I have not heard of her. You have not heard of Marie Owens. Great. Okay. I have not heard of Great. So Marie Connolly was born December 21st, 1853 to sweet Irish immigrant parents in Ottawa, Canada. Um, She eventually in 1879 she married a guy named Thomas Owens, who was a gas fitter. And I don't know what that means. <laughs> I even okay. I even Googled like gas fitter. And it was like, here's how you make gas. But it, like, apparently it's still a job. I don't know. I'm so very confused about the whole gas fitter thing. But anyway, they moved to Chicago. That is all we know about her early life. Great. So we're jumping in. Um, So once they get to Chicago, Marie and Thomas start having kids. And a couple of years after their fifth kid, Thomas died of typhoid fever in 1888. So Marie had never worked ever in her life. And it's the late 1800s and she's now widowed with five kids. So either she's got to go to work or the kids do or both. Um, So 1889... The city of Chicago passed an ordinance making it illegal for children under 14 to work, which a whole bunch of businesses were not stoked about. So they either lied or just didn't ask mothers how old their children were when they sent their kids in to get jobs. So in order for Chicago to write horrible. Um, Wow. So in order for the city of Chicago to enforce this, They hired women as, quote, sanitary workers to go into factories and check out working conditions. But actually, they were checking out the kids and making sure that they were correct ages. Um, Damn. I can't really tell if, like, when the men did it, they either didn't care or they couldn't tell how old the kids were, but the women were better at it. Something like that. I don't really know. Um, Okay. Because it it just struck me as, like, why would they suddenly specifically be looking for women to do a job that they never wanted them to do before? You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. There has to be something in, like, somehow the men were not good enough at it. They were not getting the job done. Anyway, uh, so they hired five women, and one of them that was hired was Marie Owens. Um. All of them were married or widowed mothers, and they all got the job because dealing with children was deemed to be their, like, natural purview. Um, Because Yeah, because sexism. So Mrs. Owens, Marie Owens, and then Mrs. Byford Leonard, Mrs. J.R. Doolittle, Mrs. Ada Sullivan, and Mrs. Glennon 
all reported to the commissioner of health and they were paid a salary of $50 a month. Um, Mrs. J.R. Doolittle is the most like 1800s name I've ever heard in my life. Yes. I'm a huge fan of it. I'm Mrs. J.R. Doolittle. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She like should have been like on the Titanic or some shit. You know what? She might have been because that was a little bit after this. Who is yeah. to say? Yeah, that's true. Um, so yeah, they're paid fifty dollars a month, which I did the the numbers. Do you want to guess? Um, you don't have to. Is it? Like pressure. Is it like? Wait, fifteen dollars a month? No, five zero. Fifty. Five zero. Fifty. Yeah. Fifty dollars a month. Is that like two hundred dollars now? Oh, sweet summer child. Oh it no. Is one thousand four hundred and five dollars and eighty six cents. Wow. Still not hardly anything. Yeah. Still not great for a month. That's monthly. A month. Yeah. For a woman and five, five children, but it was something and it was a job and she loved it. She was so good at it. Mm. She was pulling kids out of horrible situations. And then whenever she brought them to their families, she would always, you know, end up hearing the whole story about why they had to go to work. So she usually ended up giving their family some of her own money or some food so that the kids wouldn't have to go back to work. Aww. So she earned, I know, she earned a reputation for being effective and diplomatic with both bosses and parents. And so it said it made her, quote, as popular as someone in her position could be. Um, so one of the places that I, one of the um, main sources that I use was her writing. And so there's going to be a lot of quotes from her in this. Um, Great. She said, quote, children were found working in factories all over the city, the frail little things in many cases being under seven. The pittance of 75 cents for a dollar a week, however, helped to buy food for a sick mother, though it was at the cost of health and education. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Under seven. Under seven. Because their mom was sick. They had no other choice. So they're getting like 75 cents to a buck per week. To work in shitty conditions and not go to school. As children. Insanity. So. uh, 1891. A new chief of police is appointed. Right? They're appointed. They're not hired. I don't know. There's a new chief of police. uh, Major Robert. There's a new one. Um, And I really wish that Evan could say his name. On the podcast. (laughs) Because that would be ideal. But it's Major Is Robert. Is it like McClellum or something? You're so close. You're so close. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Wilson McClawfrey. As soon as Wait, I read McClawfrey. Wait, you cut out. What is it? Oh, Robert Wilson McClawfrey. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I saw his name, I was like, oh boy, here we go. Oh, man, Uh, that would really trip up Evan. (laughs) It sure would. So McClawfrey's appointed, and he sees Marie just kicking ass at her job. And he also had a soft spot for rehabilitating juvie offenders and getting them off the streets and back into schools. Crazy how they're, like, good people in charge. Um, Weird. I know. So he noticed that Marie was tracking down, quote-unquote, wife deserters basically deadbeat dads and there's this drawing of her i'm gonna put it on the um social media for the week it's so good she's quote tailing a dead or tailing a wife deserter and it's just a drawing of her following this dude and it's incredible um that's great but she saw the connection of how like family finances would go downhill kids were taken out of school and put in the workforce after the dad would abandon the family and it pissed her off because the dad had then zero responsibilities and this family was destroyed. Um, so she was relentless in finding these men, turning them into the police so much so that McLaughrey decided to employ Marie Owens in the detective bureau. So he made her wow. Sergeant number 97 with the rank salary badge and arrest powers of any detective making her the first female police officer in the united states wow 
Yeah. Dang, did not see that coming. I know, right? Um, so there's this advertisement type drawing of her, like I guess like an announcement or a flyer or something, explaining that she's a sergeant and she's got her like star on her and stuff. Um, and there's a quote in the corner of it that says, an efficient officer whose smile makes offenders obey the law. It's like, okay. Dial, dial it back. Okay. <laughs> but, Probably not, but, but okay. You guys are excited. Okay. Um, yeah. So now we're getting into like Chicago Fair, World's Fair time, which I'm okay. really fascinated by because I just finished Devil in the White City. Um, Wait, and also, isn't that like H.H. Holden's time? So he doesn't come into this story at all, but like I just finished the book about it. And so I have all of the context in my head and I'm just really, really digging this historical era because it's fascinating. It's great. Uh, 1893. Okay. So men were being employed by the thousands to build the world's fair Columbian exposition because they're basically building a small town within a year or two to host people from all over the world. So that was great for unemployment levels at the time. It didn't really address what those guys were going to do after the fair was over and then unemployment was going to skyrocket again. But, you know, capitalism, it's fine. Um, But that left the factories and shops where those men had been working looking for employees. And they kept turning to like younger and younger kids because they could pay them whatever they wanted because the kids were desperate. Um, So, yeah. Kids under seven. The, and legally, they had to be 14, which still, wow. But, yeah. Um, so it said that, like, a lot of foremen were really reluctant to let her into the factories. But then she would flash her badge. And she was like, hey, guess what? I'm part of the law, so move. Um, and so as a result, the children were gradually being thinned out. And the employers became more and more accustomed to asking for affidavits required by law before they could give jobs to children. Um, and then it said mothers had to dispose as to the children's ages, which I just, wow. That's so strange to me to pick, like have a cop at your house and be like, how old is this kid? How, how old is this kid? Yeah. Um, so society is super freaked out because there's a lady cop. Um, partially because how dare a woman have any authority whatsoever. But it was translated as this must be ruining her delicate sensibilities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so in 1906, a story in the Chicago daily tribune was assuring its readers that the lady police sergeant quote, has lost none of her womanly attributes and other detectives in the central office lift their hats when they chance to meet her. Oh, peachy. (laughs) Just don't worry. People still tip their hats to her. And that's like, oh, okay, thank God, thank God. I, I just. That's such, that's such a, that's such a, like, 1800s visual. Yeah, but, like, that's what they use to calm the masses. It's like, don't worry. Yes, she's a lady police officer, but people still tip their hats when they see her. It's going to be okay. I just. I don't know. Um, She was quoted as saying, of course, I know about the kind of work the men do. I never go out looking for robbers or highwaymen that is left for the men. My work is, quote, just a woman's work. In my 16 years of experience, I have come across more suffering than ever is seen by any man detective. So I love that she, like, calms them, but is also like, and also this work is so much harder than you think. 100%. Yeah, it's crazy. Um. Her superior officer, Captain O'Brien, was a huge fan of her. Pretty much everyone that worked with her was a huge fan of her. But Captain O'Brien said, quote, give me men like she is a woman and we will have the model detective bureau of the whole world. Like, Ew, or just put her on the detective bureau. I agree. Um, Lieutenant Andrew Rohan said, 
quote, oh, yes, Mrs. Owens is qualified to make arrests and perform all the duties of a patrolman. Of course, it may seem a little queer to talk about a woman being a policeman, but then when a woman is killed, the murderer isn't indicted for woman slaughter, is he? So what's the matter with patrolman for Mrs. Owens? Anyway, she's a good woman and a good policeman, and she's done some mighty fine work. Hmm. And I was like, oh, Lieutenant. I agree. Everybody likes her. (laughs) Um, So she has this reputation. Everybody loves her. Employers would cave and like try and work with her because she was genuinely trying to help the families and the kids, but not trying to screw over the employers. Like she's genuinely trying to make everyone's situation better. And so children felt that they could come to her with complaints and they would be taken seriously. So people start blowing the whistle on factories that they knew were employing children or that families had forced their kids to work simply because they wanted more money, not because they needed it. And she became this like liaison to the working children of the city of Chicago. And anyone could come to her about any concerns and she would genuinely look into them and resolve them to the best of her ability. So I, that's probably my favorite part is that like children around the city were like, Oh, someone's going to take us seriously who has authority. We might be able to get out of these horrible situations. So they talk a lot about her influence and how almost all these people are like, Oh, she's so sweet and she's the best. And then this person, I don't know who it was, wrote this account of her eyes. And it's my favorite thing. Okay. Quote, they are black when she's in earnest. They are eyes that any father who has abused a child would shrink back from. No one wants to face her black eyes, even an interviewer, for they fill him with the knowledge that he is confronted with a shrewd mind. Yet her eyes are never cruel, except perhaps to the person with a cruel instinct, and to him even, if he should study them, they would be his redeemer. She is a woman. I love it so much. Amazing. Um, so since she had become part of the police force, like it, it wasn't an oversight, but it was, they kind of like smoothed over a technicality and she was actually a sanitation worker that then McLaughrey was like, yeah, we're just going to give you all of the authority of a police officer. They, the city of Chicago later initiated a civil service rule that required all caps to all caps. <laughs> That required everyone to type in all caps all the time. They just had to scream memos constantly. (laughs) It was just a chaotic time. But actually, it required all cops to pass an exam. Hoping that that would stop women from becoming cops. Because there's no way, you know, a woman could pass a police exam. Please. No. So Marie took it and scored a 99. No, of course. Women are famously bad at taking exams. Oh, horribly. We're pretty, pretty dumb on the whole, you know? On the whole. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so she scored a 99. Sure. Um, Out of 100? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but people always said like, oh, well, she will undoubtedly remain the only woman police officer in the world. Like, okay, so she did it. But oh my God. there's definitely... No, no way any other woman will do it. Um, And then she was quoted as saying, there are four police women in Los Angeles, five in Seattle and 25 in Chicago. And the time is coming when every city will have police women, both in plain clothes and in uniform. Yep. Yep. Boom, boom, boom. Um, She ended up retiring in 1923 when she was 70 years old. Moved to New York to live with her daughter. Um, And then when she died four years later, the obituary made zero mention of her 32 years on the police force. Nothing. Ew. Nothing. She was also pretty much forgotten to time because a woman named Chloe Owings in her 1925 book called Police Women, A Study of the Development and Status of Women in the Police Movement, accidentally called Marie Owens the widow of a police patrolman. And so it like it oh no somehow that classification just swept over everything that happened. And then Chloe went on to describe a woman named Alice Stebbins of LA to be the first female cop, which even though they were 
acting at the same time, she began after Marie, but she was like publicly well known and she went on tours to talk about how important it was for women to be in the workforce. It was very, she was a very important, wonderful woman, but it totally glossed over Marie. And it wasn't until decades later that someone was reading the book, realized the error and knew that Marie Owens was not the, a widow of a police patrolman, but a gas fitter, whatever that is. I still don't understand. <laughs> um, and then he dug a little deeper and discovered this whole past of her being a cop wow. that had just been like lost to time somehow. And that is the story of Marie Owens, the first cop in the U S lady cop. That's amazing. Isn't that cool? That's so good. I am a humongous fan. I think it's the coolest. So I basically used two whole sources for this whole thing. Um, a article on mental floss by somebody named Livius Drusus, which sounds like a Roman emperor. And yeah, does. Uh, there's a website called Chicagoology. Chicagoology. I'm not a fan of that word. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> It's my McLaughrey. Okay. Chicagology. Um, and that's where all of Sergeant yeah, Detective Marie Owens. No, it's not great. But that's where all of Sergeant Detective Marie Owens' writings were, which was super cool. And it was really fun to get the context from The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson. But that book has nothing to do with Marie Owens. It's just talking about Chicago and the turn of the century and H.H. H. Holmes and building of the world's fair and all of that crazy craziness. Super cool. Yeah. The end. Dang. Good work. Thanks man. It was really fun. Yeah. Okay. So Reagan Taylor, have you ever heard of Phyllis Lyon? Phyllis Lyon. I don't think so. No. Okay. Great. Good. Yay. Tell me okay, cool. everything. So, um, I will. <laughs> um, so only the very first part of this is strictly about her, and then another lady comes in, and then it'll kind of be about both of them. Okay, got it. So Phyllis Lyon was born, um, wow, cool writing, Taylor. I just wrote, born 10, 1924. I don't know what month Ooh. that was. Stand by, I still have my sources up. Um, she was born... November 10th, 1924. There it is. All right. There it is. Um, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Hey. Um, her dad was a salesman. Her mom was, quote, a homemaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the early 40s, they moved to Sacramento. That's all that I know about her early life. Okay. All right. So, 1946, she graduated from the UC Berkeley with a degree in journalism. She went on to work for the Chico Enterprise Record in Chico, California. Um, in 1949, she moves to Seattle and she starts working at a at a construction journal, which I assume is like like a specialized magazine for construction. That would make sense, yeah. Enter Del Martin. Okay, so this lady also works at the this construction journal, and immediately Phyllis and Del are into each other. Yes. So 1952, 1952, they start dating. Yeah. Um, and by 1953. They decide to move together to San Francisco. So then from here on out, it's like balls to the wall. They are doing shit and it's the best. So <laughs> 1955, they found the Daughters of Bilitis. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I I wanted to say this is Bilitis, but it's Bilitis. The Daughters of Bilitis. Because um, a few weeks ago, I covered a woman who wrote for them under a pseudonym. And I probably said Belitis, so correct. Oh, dang. My Amazing. So, so to bring it full circle then, yeah, they founded the Daughters of Belitis along with six other women, um, three other couples. Uh, it's one of the first lesbian organizations to have been founded in the U.S., probably period. Um, it acted as an alternative to, like, going to bars and hoping to both avoid discrimination and harassment, but also, like, finding a lady people yeah and so it started off as like a little social organization it was a small secret place where lesbians could go and meet other ladies without having to worry about being really harassed and discriminated against because it's the 50s it's the 50s um 
So eventually, other DOB chapters opened up throughout the states and Australia. There were chapters in Chicago and New York and Pennsylvania. Like, they were all over the place. So eventually, through internal conversations about kind of what the role of the DOB should be, it shifted to be a political organization more than a social club. Um, So Phyllis Lyon is quoted as saying, quote, there were lots of laws that were anti-gay and there were more things to do than just party. So we decided we'd put out a newsletter. So this is how the latter was born. Um, So the latter was, uh, it started in 1956. The first issue ran, it was edited by Phyllis Lyon. She edited all of them. Um, It's regarded as the first major lesbian serial in America. There yes. were there was technically one that came before it in like 1946, I think, but it was on a much smaller scale and only had a couple of issues. So the latter is kind of regarded as the first one, even though technically it's not um, the first major. It one, had around. Yeah. Yeah. So it had around 500 subscribers, but many more people read it. Um, they just didn't want their names to be on a subscription list. So people would loan them to friends who wanted to read them without being on a list um, because it's the fifties and everything is terrible. So, um, so because of this publication, Dell and Phyllis were some of the first inductees into the LGBT journalists hall of fame, which was established Mm -hmm. in 2005. So later in the seventies, the DOB disbanded and there are a couple of different reasons for it. Mainly there were quote conflicting perspectives as to whether the DOB should ally itself with male dominated gay rights groups Mm. and kind of like attack the entire gay rights issue or whether or not it should lean more on the side of more radical quote separatist feminists. Mm. So like, I don't think anybody was wrong in that. It's just, you know, this was kind of the burgeoning gay rights movement. So like everyone was kind of trying to figure out like, okay, well, do we attack this as a purely feminist issue or is this a gay rights issue, you know, which is understandable. But there were um, different views on what the DOB should be doing. So eventually in the 70s, it disbanded. And the latter had continued publication up until the group's disbanding. So as soon as it was done, the latter was done. It's got to be so hard to be like a pioneer in something because there's so many, I mean, there is no guideline, you know, like, it's just you figuring it out as you go because there's no example there's nothing to learn from it's just like well do what what do we do you know that's got to be hard yeah and I think I think this one especially was a little weird because it didn't start out as a political yeah thing you know it started out as this just like this is just for us and then it kind of moved into this political thing and then from there it kind of moved into this more like no we need to be activists like this isn't just a, a political stance that we're taking we need to actively be working yeah towards these goals and so then yeah i get it anybody that had different views on how to go about doing that like it makes sense that it disbanded but it is kind of a bummer <laughs> yes so um, Phyllis and Dell were heavily involved in the National Organization for Women starting in 1967 Dell was um, a very politically active lady and Phyllis was a very journalistically active lady. So together they were like powerhouses. So Dell was the first openly gay member elected to the National Organization for Women. 1977, Dell becomes the first openly gay woman appointed to the San Francisco Commission on the Status of Women. And from there, she teams up with other minority members of the commission, for instance, the first black woman to be on the commission. And she teams up with them and they start looking at gay rights and how those rights intersect with racial and ethnic discrimination. So Dell was kind of like way ahead of her time in looking at how racial discrimination meets up with gay discrimination in yeah. really gross ways and yeah. understanding that there is a difference. Like there's a, yes, like, absolutely. Yeah. White gay women are discriminated against black gay women are discriminated against twofold, you know? Yeah. And so Dell was like super aware of that and super working to figure out, how to approach that. Um, So in honor of Dell and Phyllis in 1979, the Lion Martin health services was founded. So this has nothing to do with them. It was a, it was a separate group of activists that had seen what Phyllis and Dell were doing for the gay community. And they set up this clinic initially as a clinic for lesbians who couldn't get non-judgmental affordable care anywhere. Um, in 1993, they started working especially in helping low-income slash uninsured women deal with HIV. Wow. And um, 
eventually moved to helping trans people, and it is still in operation today. Oh, that's so beautiful. Isn't that amazing? So they've just they've just kept expanding their services. Oh, awesome. I love it so much. So in 1989, Phyllis and Dell joined the Old Lesbians Organizing for Change, which is maybe my favorite oh name for any group ever. God. Isn't that the best thing you've ever heard? <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. How, what's the so, age so much. threshold? Like, what? how old do you I, have to be to qualify as an old lesbian? I have no idea. I saw that mentioned literally in one place. It was one sentence. And I was like, I don't know what this means, but I sure love it. Wow, that's incredible. I know. So um, this is when you might, if you don't remember their name, I can almost guarantee that you'll remember the photo I'm talking about. So 2004, then mayor of San Francisco, now governor of California, Gavin Newsom, mm-hmm. issued same-sex marriage marriage license despite there being state and federal bans on gay marriage so he's like okay fuck it i'm gonna do it my own so he issued same-sex marriage license and phyllis and dell were the first ones to receive a license and he personally officiated me that's so good guy gavin news um so a month later though the california supreme court overrode that and said that he did not have the authority to do so 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 then 2008 California officially legalizes same-sex marriage, and Gavin Newsom invited them back to be remarried by him again. Yay! Yay. So they were officially married. Um, They were one of the first couples in California to to be officially legally married. Um, And shortly after that, Dell died. Mm. Talking about Dell's death, Phyllis said, quote, I am devastated, but I take some solace in knowing we were able to enjoy the ultimate right of love and commitment before she passed. Mm. This is the thing that I... Truly, I mean, I do not understand any argument against gay marriage because, no. like, no, there is no reason that no. anyone should be against it no. at all. Like, there's no reason at all. It's outrageous to me. Yep. It's outrageous. Like, that they were together longer than so many straight couples and yet couldn't get health insurance together until right before Dell died. Yeah. Like yeah. outrageous. It's so gross. It's so, gross. so frustrating. Um, so the suits that Dell and Phyllis wore to their weddings, they wore the same suit to both of their weddings. Um, they're like maroon and teal. And they are now in the collection of the GLBT Historical Society in San Francisco. So you can go see them, Very which cool. is amazing. Um, in 2019, Dell was posthumously recognized as one of the 50 Americans inducted to the National LGBTQ Wall of Honor at the Stonewall Monument when they made uh, Stonewall an actual national monument for the 50th anniversary. Yeah. Phyllis said, quote, we were trying to help lesbians find themselves. I mean, you can't have a movement if you don't have people that see that they're worthwhile. Oh, no. I know. I know. I was like on the verge of tears reading about this whole Seriously? thing. Yep. Um, okay, are you ready to, like, actually be on the verge of tears? Because I'm not right now, so that's fine. Phyllis Lyon died of natural causes on April 9th, 2020. She died last Thursday. Oh, no. I know. She was 95. She and Del were together for 55 years. Wow. Holy shit. I know. That's amazing. I know. And that is the incredible story of Phyllis and Dell. Wow. That's really, really cool. Yep. Really great. <sighs> wow. Yeah. Talk about a huge impact. Seriously. Like, like, and like I had, I remembered them getting married and then having it invalidated. I remembered that story. Yeah. Um, but I, it, it rang didn't bells know their names sure. and I didn't know that they were like pioneers, <laughs> you know, yeah, like I thought no. that they were just, not just, but I mean, because like being the first same-sex marriage in California is monumental no matter what. But I had no idea that they were like huge figures in the gay community, you yeah. know? No, I didn't either. Yeah. So shout out to sweet Jan Probst for that <gasps> babe. Because oh, Jan you. posted about Phyllis when Phyllis died last Thursday. And I, I didn't know her name and I looked her up and was like blown away and as soon as I read it I was like okay well she's my babe like <laughs> I mean 100% babe. Yeah. so um so 
Okay, so my sources, real quick, to source mm-hmm. the shit. Mm-hmm. Um, Wikipedia, obviously. Encyclopedia Britannica was... It has so much about um, the Daughters of Bilitis, which was great. Um, there's a New York Times article. There, like, I mean, everyone had an article when she died last Thursday, so it was kind of hard to find articles that were not obituaries because it right. like just happened. Right. So like everything was. Um, so there's a New York Times article: Phyllis Lyon, lesbian activist and gay marriage trailblazer, dies at 95 by Julia Carmel. Um, probably Carmel. Nobody's last I mean, name is Carmel. I don't know. It's probably um, caramel. And then CNN had an article. <laughs> there's only one A, so probably not that. That doesn't but stop maybe people. That. My mom. My mom <laughs> says caramel if there's only one A. Like, Kimberly, what are you doing? No. Um, CNN had an article, too. Phyllis Lyon, famed LGBTQ activist, dies by Leah Asmalash, Asmalash and John Passantino. And wow. that's my... That's my babe. What a cool babe. What a cool set of babes. Yep. yep. Like, I mean, I mean that in the most genuine, honest, like, what a cool set of babes. You know, I don't. Yep. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. As a final little, like, just stab your heart and, like, twist it around some. Oh, more. On Thursday, when Phyllis died, Gavin mm-hmm. Newsom posted to Twitter, quote, Phyllis and Dell were the manifestation of love and devotion. Yet for over 50 years, they were the de- denied the right to say two extraordinary words. I do. Phyllis, it was the honor of a lifetime to marry you and Dell. Your courage changed the course of history. Rest in peace, my dear friend. I know. Oh. I know. Wow. I know. What good people do in such good work. Such good work. And like all of the quotes from both of them, but especially Phyllis, made it very clear that they were like, you know, they're those people that are, that weren't like, we're going to set out to do something amazing. They were just like, no, no this needs to be done. Yeah, it needs to be like done and nobody's doing it. So we're going to do it. Became activists, man. Yep. Um, who is your babe this week? My babes, plural, are absolutely the cast and crew of Shit's Creek. I uh-huh. just, uh-huh. we, have binged the first five seasons um, and are looking for a way to watch season six because we don't have cable. But the Levies, Catherine O'Hara, they're all like, you can tell that they are having a blast filming it. And yes, it's hilarious. And yes, it's, you know, like, it's witty and it's it's timely and it you know it's it's great but there's a lot of really really wonderful themes being covered in it and the support of Dan Levy's character and the LGBT community is so wonderful and I love it so so dearly and have you watched it but there have been a couple episodes I think two so far that I've just started all out crying in the morning um (laughs) and everybody that I've talked to was like just wait for season six my dude because you will cry every single episode and I know that they are correct um it is so so good and I cannot recommend it enough to everyone in the whole world go watch it that's great really wonderful and Catherine O'Hara's Catherine O'Hara's character is so funny we quote her constantly now to be fair we quote all of them constantly but like the way she talks is now just like how we talk to the dog always it's really it's a wonderful thing who's your babe okay yeah I'll start watching it um I think that uh, in honor of yesterday, my babe kind of has to be me. <laughs> yeah, girl. Hell yeah. I think that um, I think that I am gonna hype myself up because, I mean, it's been a year, a full ass year of dealing with this, um, and I. 
I posted a little bit of this on Facebook, but I, I found a, um, so if, if you are listening and you have migraines and don't really know what to do about them, um, migraine.com is the best. It's the best because it's just um, filled with articles from both doctors, but also just people who get migraines about how they deal with them. Um, and I found one about a woman who has, um, they're called intractable migraines. And it's probably what I have. Um, and they come in cycles and hers are, hers are two year cycles. So she'll have a migraine for two years. Um, and her whole point was that you have to, at some point kind of, and it sounds, it sounds weird to say, but you have to kind of stop looking for answers because you can drive yourself crazy looking for the next thing or, or saying, Oh, well it must be this, or maybe it's that, or maybe it's this, like, it's exhausting. It's exhausting to constantly be trying to figure out what's going on when instead I could be putting that energy into being like, okay, how do I become okay with this? Because at a certain point, like you just kind of have to become okay with it because I mean, I, it would be great if it goes away, but I've had no indication that that'll be the case. Um, so, and the way that she put it of like, you have to just kind of become okay with the fact that like, this might be life. It might not be. And it's great if that's not the case, but it might be because it has been. And so reading that has, it kind of, I read that a couple months ago and it kind of like helped shift my whole perspective on yeah. this whole thing. Anyway, this is a really, really long winded way of saying, like, no, no. I think that I, I'm proud of myself for having looked for a way to like become okay with it rather than like constantly asking people for tips or seeing if they have advice. Cause like, I don't, it sounds bad, but I don't know anybody who has had this so at a certain point having people who who get a migraine once every couple of months be like well have you tried this like yes yes I have tried that many times like yes thank you but yes I am so that does not sound bad that sounds absolutely understandable yeah you're crazy strong and I admire you in a, a whole bunch of ways but absolutely that is definitely one of them Wow. Stop. Barf. It's true. You can hate me all you want, but it's true. <laughs> Man. Yeah. This was nice. Yeah, it really was. This was I nice. love this. Um, thank you guys for listening. I oh, love yeah. This. Hi, I love you. I love you I love too. all of these people listening. Love you guys. Um, um, thank you for listening. You're angels. Yeah. Yep. Um, everybody stay, stay strong during quarantine. And if you need somebody to talk to, offer still stands for both of us. Um, 100%. Hit us up either personally or you can hit us up on Babetown and we're happy to, to engage there as well. Um, 100%. If you are more comfortable with that. So um, we're, we're doing it. Eventually things will go back to normal. And until then we'll keep hyping up some babes. Always. Always. All right, buddy. Have a good week, bud. I'm sure I'll talk to you tomorrow, but (laughs) you know. I would love that. That's great. (laughs) All right. Tell Trevor I said hello. I will. Tell Evan I said McLaughlin. Love you. I will. (laughs) (laughs) Love you. Bye. Bye.